We're continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. And if you're new here, we've been going through a series talking about how we can avoid the trap of cultural Christianity. It's easy to become comfortable and not be living on missions as disciples of Christ in the country that we live in. And last week, Pastor John preached a sermon about running to win the race. That Paul um, gave us this exhortation that we aren't just running to finish the race as Christians, but we're r- running to win the race as believers. And as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be continuing this theme. 1 Corinthians 9 talked about kind of the rewards and the good things that come from running the race to win win. Now 1 Corinthians 10 is a little tough. It's talking about the warnings of when we don't run a race to win. When we become distracted and we get in the snares of cultural Christianity, what happens to us, what can happen to our families, what can happen to our church, what can happen to our ministries. I think it's good for each one of us to reflect on what is our goal as believers. What's your goal in your life right now? I know a lot of times talking with the younger generation, maybe those in high school or college or young adults, a lot of times the focus can be or the questions become, how close can I get to the line of sin and still be a Christian, still be a disciple? How close can I get to being just like the world and still be a follower of Jesus? That's a terrible question to be asking. Our question should be, how much like Jesus can I become? How much like Jesus Christ can I be as a father and as a husband and um, as a worker or as a minister of the gospel? How much can I become like Jesus Christ should be our question, and that is to run a race to win. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to look at this first set of scripture on some of the warnings of what happens when we don't run a race to win. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So he transitions into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 of reminding the people of the church that these Old Testament stories were not just stories. They're not just myths. But he said these things that happened in the Old Testament were actually our example. So we would know how to follow Christ today. Now, you guys know that just in general, history repeats itself, right? Um, Whether it's how certain um, socioeconomic plans work out, how wars get started, whatever it may be, we kind of know that history over time tends to repeat itself. Well, that is true in the Bible, that he's saying these examples in the Old Testament of the people of Israel following the God of Israel are our examples today of how we can either run a race to win for the gospel of Jesus Christ, or how we can be distracted and not run a race to win and actually miss out on the blessing and the calling that God has on our life. Now, before we jump into the scripture, I think there's three questions that are important to be answered. And so if you guys saw, maybe you guys did or didn't see these little packets as you walked in, it's okay if you didn't, you can grab one on your way out. 
But these are, it's a little bit of extra homework. It's your homework sheet. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into what we discussed today, it has some scriptures that you can jump into. But whenever we study the Bible, there are kind of major doctrines that we know in our mind or we formulate in our mind that affect the way we interpret scripture. So I think there's three questions that are really important for us to answer so that we rightly interpret what he's trying to say here in 1 Corinthians 10. The first question is, can I lose my salvation? When he's talking about being scattered in the wilderness or when he's talking about God was not pleased with these people, what does that mean? And my stance personally, as, long, as well as the stance of uh, the church here at Mitchell Breen with the pastors and elders, is we believe the Bible teaches that you cannot lose your salvation. When you have truly surrendered and given your life to Christ, the Bible tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we are sons and daughters of God. Now, John 10, 28, Jesus says this. He says, I give them eternal life that they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Jesus teaches us when we are in his grasp, when we have become a disciple of Jesus Christ, when we've been saved by the grace of God through faith, that our eternity, our salvation is secure in him. There's a lot more scripture there. If you'd like to dive into why we believe that at this church, you, you are more than welcome to do that through this packet. But the second question that I think we need to answer is, can I lose my ministry call in Christ or a blessing or God's favor on my life? And the answer to that question is yes, that you can be a believer, you can be eternally secure in your salvation, but miss out on what God had planned for your life. You can miss out on the callings and the opportunities to serve God. Our number one purpose on this earth is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can miss out on that. We can miss out on the greatest blessing we could ever imagine because we are distracted and we're deterred by the things of this life. The same things that distracted Israel from their mission can distract us. Now, there's a whole list of people I list, listed on this sheet who did just that. Some of them missed their call completely. They never fulfilled what God had called them to do. Some of them missed partially what God had called them to do, like Moses. He led Israel pretty well, but he made some big mistakes. And because of those mistakes, God did not allow him to go into the promised land. He missed out on a blessing in his life because for a moment in time in his life, he was not running his race to win. Paul just got done um, warning us that in the New Testament, this is still true, that he himself, as an apostle who was raising people from the dead, starting churches, was still in danger of losing, of being disqualified for the call and the blessing that God had placed in his life. So one, we cannot lose our salvation. But two, we can lose the blessing and the calling and the favor that God has on our life as believers. Now, the third question that I think is important to answer that applies to these examples in the Old Testament is on the next sheet or next page. And the question is, can I be a false Christian? And the answer to this question is yes, that we can be in the people of God. Like there was people who were in Israel, but in Romans we find out not everyone who is in Israel is of Israel. Not everyone who was born as an Israelite was a child of Abraham. We have to enter into that by faith. And so just because we're in church, we're around church, or we've grown up um, in a Christian family or we read our Bibles, does not mean that we're a Christian. 
The only way that we can be a Christian is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and being born again. He has to make an inside change in our heart in order for us to be saved. Jesus mentions this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness so these people not only claimed Jesus they said Lord Lord they they said that Jesus was their Lord by their mouth confession but they also did ministry sounds like they cast out some demons they prophesied they did some things that were pretty amazing but when it came down to their personal relationship with Jesus Christ They didn't have one. They were still relying on their own works and their own goodness rather than relying on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't the only one who taught this. Paul teaches this in Acts 20 and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians. Peter teaches it in 2 Peter. John teaches it in 1 John. It's not an exhausted list, but throughout the New Testament, there's a warning over and over and over, not of losing salvation, but of making sure our salvation is true, that it's genuine, that when our heart is truly te- tested in judgment, do we truly know Jesus Christ. And in these examples we're going to find in 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to see all three of those different types of people. People who were saved that lost their blessing, People who were saved that finished the race well and ran to win, received their blessing. But also people who, although they were around and in the people of God, they weren't truly people of faith and following the one true God. So as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to see, before we get to all the warnings, we're going to see all the blessings that God gave his people. God has given us blessings. He has not told us to run the race and given us no tools, given us no help. That God has given us more than we could ever need in order to run the race to win. So in 1 Corinthians 10, he says that um, all of our fathers, talking about the Israelites, were under the cloud. When he talks about the cloud, he's talking about In Exodus 13, God gave the Israelites a cloud to lead them throughout the wilderness during the day, to protect them from the sun, to guide them. And he gave them a pillar of fire by night um, that would provide them warmth and also would provide guidance of when they should continue to move on. So God, for the Israelites, while they were going through the wilderness, going through trials, going through tribulations, going through tough times, he provided them covering by his grace. He provided them guidance. The same thing is true for us. God provides us covering and his grace. He provides forgiveness. He provides second chances. He provides guidance through the word of God and the Holy Spirit that God is on our side. While we're going through hard things, he is able to provide this cloud, this covering and protection for us as Christians. The second thing he says is that they all pass through the sea. This is referring to um, crossing through the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14 where um, Israel is leaving Egypt, right? And their backs are against the wall. Pharaoh's coming with all of his warriors. And God miraculously, by power, opens up the Red Sea. Israel moves um, forward and God collapses it over the Egyptians and brings judgment. That God had demonstrated his power to Israel. They knew that he was a God of power. He was a God of strength that could deliver them from their enemies. The same thing is true for us. That the Bible refers to Egypt in the New Testament as our life of sin. 
that by power, God delivers us from a life of sin and leads us into a life of righteousness, that we cannot overcome those things on our own, but by the power of God and the power of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are changed. The Bible says we're made into a new creation. We're born again. So just as God demonstrated power in Israel's salvation, he demonstrates power in our salvation. Next thing the scripture says is that they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. That when Israel was in the wilderness, um, they didn't have enough food, right, to feed millions and millions and millions of people. So God provided manna from heaven. He provided water from a rock. And Jesus tells us that he is the bread that has come from heaven. That Jesus is not just our physical food, but that he's our spiritual food. He also says that if we would drink of his water, we would never thirst again. So just like God provided miraculous food for Israel in the wilderness, God provides us spiritual food, which is Jesus Christ, partaking of his life, death, and resurrection, which we will celebrate through communion. So we know that God is willing to sustain us. The scripture also says that they were all baptized into Moses. This is kind of an interesting um, phrase, but what he's talking about is they are all baptized into one leader. They had one leader who guided Israel throughout the wilderness, and that was Moses. He was their spokesperson between God and the people. Now, we no longer have to rely on a prophet of one man to speak to us, but we have one man who speaks to us, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the head of the body of Christ. So just like Israel had one unified leader, which is important for the people of God, so too do we have one unified leader, and that's Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 4 says there's one spirit, and there's one Lord, and there's one faith, there's one baptism, and we have one authority, which is the Scripture. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to follow our one leader, which is Jesus Christ. So he goes through this long list that God had provided Israel with covering. He provided them with grace. He provided them with food and water. He provided them with a leader. Um, He provided them with power to overcome their enemies. But at the end of the day, in verse 5, and this is our warning, but with most of them, not just some of them, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So despite all that God did for them, they chose not to run the race to win, but they chose to be distracted and miss out on the blessing and calling that God had on their life. So there was millions of people in the nation of Israel at this time. How many from that first generation, this is an interactive sermon, how many people from that um, generation, Charlie's already got it, from that generation made it into the promised land? Charlie says two, and his answer is correct. We got Joshua and Caleb out of millions of people who most of them did believe in God. I don't think they were false. Some of them were. But out of people who believed in God, most of them, all of them but two, did not run their race to win, did not get to inherit the full blessing and promise and calling that God had on their life because they died in the wilderness and they did not um, get to experience the promised land. And this is our warning to us today as Christians, as we have not just the promise of eternal life, we have a promise of rewards in heaven, and we have the promise of being a part of advancing the gospel of Christ, seeing people come to Christ, discipling people, having the greatest joy, more joy than any relationship or job or hobby could ever give you. We have the opportunity to partake in that. But what the Bible is telling us is most people, even Christians believing Christians, won't do that. 
They won't run the race to win and we will become distracted. And he tells us how we might come, become distracted in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 11, which we will read next. So he says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things that they also lusted. This ultimately means not desiring, lusting after the things of the world, to be popular, to be well-liked. How many likes can we get on social media? How much influence can we have? How much money can we make? Does everybody like me? Those type of things. He's saying if we desire after those things, they're going to be snares to us. We're going to be off track and we won't run the race to, to, to win as Christ has called us, but we will end up like the Israelites who were dead in the wilderness. And if you turn with me to James chapter 1, gives a good example of what this might look like for us. All right, James 1, 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, running the race to win. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, he doesn't say we're drawn into sin because of the devil. Or a phrase I use a lot, too, is we fall into sin. We don't fall into sin. We choose to sin. It's not, we don't just trip and fall into it, but it's a choice. We choose that we want our way over God's way. And how does this happen is because of our desires. And an example of this, I've shared this before in, in this church, but um, my, I've had some stomach issues over the years. And one thing that's become hard for me to eat is dairy, specifically ice cream. And I used to love Cold Stone ice cream. If you guys have had Cold Stone, it's pretty good. And um, my favorite was Birthday Cake Remix. And they've got the like it size, the love it size, and the gotta have it size. It's like huge. So if you put a gotta have it size of um, birthday cake remix right here on the table, I would have zero desire to eat that ice cream because I know what it's going to do to me. I'm going to be sick. I've kind of lost the, the desire to eat it. It just doesn't, just doesn't sound good because I've gone a period of time of not having it and I know what it's going to do to my body. When there's not a desire there, there's really not a temptation. But if you put something else in front of me that I do desire, that I do like, that's not good for me, then maybe there's going to be a temptation there for me to indulge in. And the question for us is how appealing does sin look to us? Because if, if we hate sin, like God has called us to, if sin is disgusting to us, there's not much to tempt. But there's things in all of our lives that we've allowed to become desirable that are of the world. And if we allow those things to hang on, Satan's going to find a way in to tempt us. And by our own desires, we are going to choose to obey our own flesh over the things that God has called us to. And as a result, we will miss out on the blessing and calling on our life. The second thing that he says in 1 Corinthians 10 is that they were idolaters. I said the people sat down to eat and drink and some rose up to play. Now, in our culture, how many of you by a raise of hands, maybe you wouldn't be willing to admit it, how many of us by a raise of hands have worshipped a physical statue in the last week? 
All right, nobody. Right? In our culture, we don't have a lot of idols that are maybe a golden calf like the Israelites worshipped. And that's what this is referring to them as worshipping the golden calf. But I want to look at that, this story and see how this is a good example for us. And we do the same thing today. Is when uh, Moses goes up on the mountain... He gets the Ten Commandments. He's up there 40 days and 40 nights. He comes back down. The people of Israel are worshiping the golden calf. What did they make the golden calf out of was gold, right? They made it out of gold. Um, Aaron came and got all the gold from the Israelites. Now, where did they get the gold? Another part to be interactive here. Where where did all the Israelites get all their gold to make this golden statue? Egypt. Nice. Nice. Good answer. They got it from Egypt. So God had blessed Israel. He had let Israel plunder the Egyptians as a sign of their victory. So all the gold that Israel had was a mark of God's blessing on their life. Now what did they do with that blessing? They turned it into a curse. They melted it down. They distorted it. They twisted it. And they worshipped it. And one of the biggest temptations for all of us is to worship the things that actually God's given us. Not the things the devil's given us, but the things that God's given us. Whether that be our family, whether that be children, whether that be our ministry, um, whether that be gifts that we have, money. Things that aren't bad, they're actually good, they're actually blessings. Just like this gold was a blessing from God to Israel. But they used this blessing to become an island to worship God instead of serve God with it. This is exactly what Romans says, they worshipped the creature rather than the creator. So how are we using the gifts and the blessings that God has lived, um, placed in our lives. The third thing that can be a distraction that can take us away from running the race to win is sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of, the, some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. When he says 23,000 fell, he means 23,000 died. That God killed 23,000 people within Israel for sexual immorality. We live in a day and age that celebrates sexual immorality, has pride parades for sexual morality, celebrates divorce. But yet the Bible's telling us, and again, God didn't just do this on a whim because he was mad. He warned Israel over and over and over, and they wouldn't listen. And today in the church, we're warned. People in the church, we know. We know sexual morality is wrong, but when it comes down to it, ah, pornography is not that big of a deal. Well, it's not that big of a deal to live together, sleep together before you're married. You know, all these things aren't that big of a deal. And all of a sudden, our life's a disaster and we wonder why. Because we've ignored the warning and the call of God over and over and over. And that blessing and that calling that God wants to bless us with slips through our hands and we do not get to experience it. That God sees sexual purity as so important that when Israel wouldn't listen, he took the lives of 23,000 of them. And what's so important in any of these areas is to realize that Paul, again, he was serious that saying, I don't want to become disqualified. And there are certain areas of ministry um, that there are qualifications for. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the qualifications of an elder, of a pastor, of a leader. And one of those... Um, uh, qualifications is sexual purity. It says that if an elder or pastor commits sexual immorality, c- commits adultery, they shouldn't be a pastor. Doesn't mean sit down, get counseling, see what everybody thinks. But when that mistake is made, that opportunity to carry that role to lead God's church is gone. You don't get a bunch of chances at that. Now, can God forgive you? He can. Can he give you another opportunity to serve him in another area? He can. 
But there are roles and there are opportunities when it comes to sexual immorality, when it comes to adultery. And it's not just those. The Bible talks about being gentle. The Bible talks about not being violent with our words, tearing people down. Those type of things are qualifications to lead in the church. And that it's an opportunity. I hope we can grab this as a church. It's an opportunity to serve God. It, it's a lot of times like, oh, if I got a little extra time in my, uh, my schedule, I guess I'll, I'll serve God. I guess I'll maybe try to disciple somebody. But this is the greatest privilege we have. And it's not a privilege that God can't take away. He can. He can take that opportunity away from us instead of letting us walk in the blessing and the calling it is to serve him and to advance the gospel. The fourth thing it says is that they tempted Christ in the wilderness and they were destroyed by serpents. Um, What happened with them is they got tired of being in the wilderness. And I don't know if any of you have ever been tired of suffering, tired of being in, in tough times, tired of struggling. And when they got tired of it, they basically said, all right, God, you need to fix this. It wasn't a request. It wasn't a prayer. But all of a sudden they were the ones making the demands. God, you need to do things on my timing according to what I want. And God said, okay, I'm going to send you guys fiery serpents instead of answering that prayer. And in that time, again, God allowed them a way out. Some of them took that way out, but many of them died in the wilderness because they demanded that God did things their way. And a lot of times when ministry and life doesn't go our way, we have two options. We can just accept it and humble ourselves and understand, hey, God's doing something I don't understand and I'm going to serve him however way he wants me to. Or we can get bitter and we lose the opportunity to run the race to win and the calling and the blessing that God has in our life. Number five, and the last one, is let us not complain. Let's raise our hand if you didn't complain this week. All right, or complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. What they were complaining about was Moses and Aaron's leadership. They were tired of Moses and Aaron. And we can complain about a lot of things. The Bible talks about not complaining But complaining and a bad attitude will take us away from being able to run the race to win. The people that I have met that have been most dedicated to sharing the gospel and making disciples aren't really complainers because they're too busy serving God to complain all the time, to be honest. We're usually complaining because we're not filling our our lives with the things of Christ. We're filling our lives with the things of the world. And there is a time, like I just got done saying, for accountability for leaders. Sometimes we're under leadership that isn't behaving godly. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing to address that. Just don't complain about it. You can be active with a solution to bring health to a church instead of bringing complaining that will bring division. So it's not about just um, acting like things are always okay. But there's a big difference between going towards a solution and just complaining and being negative with what God's done or with the leaders that God has given us. So as we look at all these areas, we have a decision to make. Is are we going to run a race to win or are we going to be distracted by lust, by idolatry, by sexual immorality, by tempting God, by complaining? Those are just a few, but all those stories are listed on these sheets. I encourage you to read them. Go in and see what those people were doing, what led them away from following God instead of being able to fulfill the ministry they ultimately had called them to. Verse 14, he continues and says, oh, sorry, I just skipped verse 12 and 13, which is a good one. So 12 and 13, he says, therefore, this is how we cannot do this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Every single one of these sins we Listed, every one of us is a day away from doing them. 
Jesus says that we have to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily. It's a daily fight to deny the flesh and to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. So I'm not preaching this as if all this stuff should never be a challenge. All this stuff is going to challenge you daily. But we have an opportunity to humble ourselves and take heed to realize I'm one step away from falling and that I need the grace of God. Verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. If you read all those Old Testament stories, God gave them so many opportunities for those bad things not to happen. So many opportunities. And there's no sin or struggle in your life that God is not providing a way out. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. But there is a way out. Sometimes it takes work. You can talk to the people who've um, of graduated celibate recovery. It takes work to get over our hurts, our hangups, our habits. But God does provide a way out. So number one, there's always hope in our sin. There's always struggle that God can help us. But number two, none of your sin, um, and maybe there's a better way to say this, but none of your sin is that weird. You might think it's weird. You might think nobody else is struggling with it. You might think it's just you. And I deal with this a lot with people who struggle with anxiety, um, depression, addictions, is people have crazy thoughts or have done things they feel like are so horrible they could never tell anybody about them. But when they tell me about them, it's like, well, you know, I've only heard that maybe another 500, 600 times. Like it's not, not that uncommon, not that it's good. But our sin is not, it's, it's very evil. But the thing is, we're all, most of us are struggling with the same type of stuff. But what the devil does, he tempts us to keep it a secret. So we have to realize when we're struggling with these issues, instead of letting them take us off track where we don't get to finish the race well, we need to confess them. We need to repent. We need to get into discipleship, get into community so that we can overcome these different areas and God will always provide a way out. If we ask him, if you cry out to God and really ask him, I've never seen God turn someone away. The Bible says that whoever puts their faith in Christ will not be ashamed. But faith also means diligently doing it. Not just throwing up a prayer when you feel tired and hoping God saves you, but to consistently and persistently pursue Christ and seek for healing. And I think this scripture is very relevant to our church for a couple reasons. Is one, um, because we live in a culture that's very tempting. But number two, because I think God is doing a lot of good things in our church. And the same thing was happening in Corinth. There was a lot of good things that were happening that were at risk of going under. I've seen ministries go under, seen churches split. I've seen ministries that were so powerful and successful. All of a sudden, the favor of God and the call of God on that church goes away. And the Corinthian church was at risk for that because they were sleeping around together. They weren't holding each other accountable. They were committing these things. And right now in our church, I know that we've had a lot of people baptized. We've got, got to see, I think, 16 people celebrate for, or graduate from Celebrate Recovery. Um, got to see three more uh, kids come to Christ this week down at the boxing um, gym. Pretty cool. One of the kids assured me he was a Satanist about three months ago. And now he's uh, wanting to get baptized and um, taking some pretty... And I don't think he really was. I think he was trying to get a reaction out of me, see if I because he knew I was a Christian, but God's doing cool things. I think we have about 200 people that are involved in discipleship here at this church. Vacation Bible School has been, um, was very successful this summer, Awana. Um, there's so many things that are going on here. And so without putting too much pressure on us, don't mess it up. That's basically what he's saying, is there are so many good things happening, so many opportunities God's given us, 
Don't mess it up. He's given us all the tools. He's given us all the truth. He's given us accountability. Run the race to win. Don't be distracted. Don't squander the blessing that God's giving us to make a lifelong impact in the valley. The things that are going on could literally change for generations what kids experience, what families experience here in western Nebraska. And you have an opportunity to be a part of that by stepping into the call that God has on our lives. So in verse 14, he says, Therefore, my, uh, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run from it. Don't mess around with it. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? There's a lot of context there. We could talk about it later if you'd like. But in short, what he's saying is you can't be in the middle. You can't be messing around with the devil and you can't be serving God at the same time. You can't be in your sin. You can't be running your race to win. You gotta choose. And it's better to be cold than it is to be lukewarm is what Jesus tells us. Because if we're lukewarm, he says that he will spit us out of his mouth. But why? Is it because God's just angry and he's a tyrant? No, it's because he's jealous. He loves us. He wants you. He wants all of you. It's like if, uh, um, I think it'd be weird if somebody came up um, to a man's wife and started flirting with her and her husband thought it was funny. Oh, that's kind of funny. Guy's over there flirting with my wife. I think that'd be weird, right? That you love your wife. You don't want a guy flirting with your wife and trying to seduce her. Right, That there's a protection, there's a jealousy, there's a guarding of your wife. In the same way, that's how God feels about us. We're his bride. God doesn't want us flirting and playing with sin. He doesn't think it's funny. He wants us to be pure so that we can be fully devoted to him. Verse 23 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Our life is not about us. It's about serving Christ. Eat whatever is sold in the marketplace, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you. Ask no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to an idol, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. For conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not of your own, but of that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. I just want to close with that of, can we say that about our lives? Can you say... Can you step up here and say, I please all men in all things. I don't seek my own profit. I don't seek what's best for me. But in everything I do, I seek the profit of other people so they may be saved. Is our life about the salvation of those around us? Every day we come in contact with people who are going to hell. We're coming into contact with people who may be saved, but their marriages are are being destroyed. Is our life set on running a race to win? 
And one challenge I have for us as a church, you can take it or leave it, but I want to, I want to do it, um, is to do a seven-day fast. It um, doesn't have to be food. A lot of times we think of food. But what fasting does is it clears our mind. Think about how much time you spend thinking about food, cooking food, and then eating food every day, right? Not that that's a bad thing, but we just do that because we need to eat to survive, right? And so when people would fast in the Bible, what they're doing is they're taking away all that time they would normally spend eating and thinking about eating and cooking, and they would spend that time in devotion and prayer um, to God. So their mind was clear. And so I just want to encourage us as a church in this next week to give up something for seven days. Doesn't have to be something evil. Doesn't have to be food, but something that distracts you. Something that takes your mind off of Christ and just give that up for a week and spend the time you would normally spend doing that and praying for our church, praying that people would be discipled and praying for the community that people would come to Christ. And I'd be interested to know what God does in your heart, the doors he opens um, over the next week. That you would see what are the areas of my life that I'm allowing to distract me, that I'm allowing to pull me away from truly running a race to win. Um, so I want to invite our worship team up and we're going to close um, with communion. As we take communion, we'll talk about this next week, um, but it's celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one, two things that are important for communion is one is that you're a believer, that you've given your life to Christ by grace through faith. But two is that we've repented, that we've turned away from our sin. And in the Bible, it talks about when people took communion and didn't do those things, that actually people would get sick. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll talk about next week, that even some people died, right? That this is a serious thing, that we get to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as we pray over this communion and we're all able to take it, I just encourage you, if there's some things we've talked about today that have been leading you away from running a race to win, confess those to God. You don't have to find a priest or a pastor, but spend time in prayer before you take communion and make sure that your heart um, is right before God. So Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that it is to serve you. God, you don't owe us to allow us to serve you. God, you don't owe us to allow us to be a part of the body of Christ. So God, I pray that we wouldn't take advantage of that or take that for granted. God, that we would um, just be reminded as we take this, this bread that your body was broken on Calvary for us, Lord. You paid the ultimate price. That your blood was shed, God, that we can have total and complete forgiveness if we, would return, or if, we, if we would repent from our sins and put our faith in you. Jesus, so I pray if there's anyone here who's never made that statement or made that commitment, God, that you would work in their heart today, Father. They would no longer drink from the cup of demons and try to serve you, Lord, but they would be fully and totally committed to you, Lord, as we celebrate communion together. God, God so we love you, we thank you, and pray that we could truly be a church on mission um, here in the valley. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name, amen.